Welcome to Ruby Ray, real and raw conversations for the rising global woman. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton. Hello, this is episode two of the Ruby Ray podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Norton. Today, I'm super excited to talk about our second guest. She is a poet, a writer, an author, a life coach, a owner of the clothing and apparel line, This Is For The Women. And she is a woman who is completely walking her own path, creating her own path, and encouraging others to do the same. And if there's one thing that, if there's one saying that you could boil down what she puts out into this world, it is the message for women to walk tall in who they are with compassion and love and empathy and also a fierceness that doesn't hold back. So in this episode with Yana Robinson, we cover everything from self-confidence to boundaries and business to what to do when you're not in your life's purpose or in your in your dharma, in your life's work, and how to connect to that and find it. We cover what it means to be an empowered woman and embody this rising feminine that's happening in men and women throughout our society and so much more. And there's lots of giggles and snorts and (laughs) silly noises. And this was a lot of fun to record. Just a little note, this was recorded in a bungalow, my bungalow in Mexico. um, And Yana was in, in California. So there might be some audio issues. So I'm sorry about that. And and um, yeah, we will dive right in. So here is Yana Robinson. What is a typical day like for you? Mm, nice. Um, well, when I'm when I am at my home, it, it can be a little bit different if I'm traveling with work. But I also try and um, create a way to travel to places that allow my lifestyle to sustain itself. Um, but I start my business days at one o'clock. Um, and I believe in the world that we live in, we feed the beast of this world before we feed them and connect to our spirits. And, um, one of the most important ideals in my life is that I connect with spirit and that I give to myself and that I think connect to myself and connect with spirit before I start my day and I connect with humans and give myself to any of the things that I'm doing. And I think that that's really important and maintaining balance and sanity and well-being and joy and playfulness and youthfulness and um, letting go of anxiety and stress. So uh, my morning routine is, well, I just slept in really deep this week, but when I'm on my on my flow, I wake up in the morning and I'll have like a little snack and I will jump in the ocean and I surf for like two or three hours, quite a while, and get out and make like a huge big breakfast or meal. And um, sometimes I'll have a matcha because right now I'm trying to do coffee twice a week. Sometimes I'll drink coffee more than twice a week and have a coffee. <laughs> 
Um, and and then I start my day and I I have a full-time employee I just hired. So usually we'll connect or I have some consulting clients that I'll see or talk with lawyers and um, I manage my business starting at one o'clock. And that's a really firm way that I get to like love and respect myself and living and that I'm not waiting to live till I'm retired. And, um, if, uh, and then usually in the evening I'll either go for a second surf or go to yoga or meditate or like go watch the sunset, like have some kind of closure to the day. And as an entrepreneur, sometimes I get super excited and I'll work till midnight if I feel like it. But, um, yeah, so I, I live in, I live in California and it's sunny and beautiful and there's definitely lots of playing that happens. <laughs> mm. Is um do you have like a usual hard stop time or does it is it just sort of depending on your flow? It it super depends on flow. I uh I do a maximum of two client calls a day, so I do like a max of 3 hours with um my clients just to honor you know, the, the energy and space and time I give to them and, um, being very on for that time. But, uh, and other days I'll do like four hours of work and be done. And other days I'll feel really excited. And like last night I felt really inspired and work, wrote up a bunch of content for a workshop I'm going to teach and work to like 11 and that felt good and wasn't like a drag. Um, but, uh, yeah, I am learning also to set firm boundaries and like take, full days off as an entrepreneur, which can be hard sometimes. Um, so sometimes I'm actually doing a weekend before my weekend was never whatever I wanted it to be. But now that I'm realizing that I work with people who still work a nine to five, that it's really best that I take my weekend while they're also taking their weekend. <laughs> so I've been doing that too. Right. Totally. Let tell me more about boundaries and how how you set them, especially having a career that relies so heavily on social media and what are what are some ways that you set boundaries in your life? So one of the really cool things that I've started to do is um, I I schedule content to go out a month before. So no way. I will sure do girl been tricking everyone <laughs> oh man so for, for on instagram and what else what other platforms instagram and facebook um and uh so number one just like you know visually it looks nicer when your shit's planned out mm-hmm. um and there are still random things that i'll do the day of and i'll jump on and post it but there's this pressure when we need to maintain the social media side of our businesses to create content every day and it can be just stressful. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I plan that all in advance. I actually have an employee who helps me like draw photos cause I have thousands of pictures and we like plan all the visuals out. And I have an art archive of my, my writing of like thousands of pieces and I pull stuff from five years ago. I pull stuff that I wrote yesterday and, you know, social media really is a sharing platform. And I took it too literal for a while thinking that like it was my real life and, um, have had, and it's like Instagram is in real life and have had to have some boundaries in really healthy detachment boundaries. And like, I still want to share and give people access to my work, but 
I also don't want to give myself to strangers on the internet all day. And I don't need to give myself to strangers on the internet all day to create change, to have an impact or to run a business. And, um, I'm have just been learning with the more eyes that there are, the more voices, the more loudness, um, I've gotten thrown under some pretty big buses and, um, it, but the, you know, it can be really encouraging to have 90,000 people roaring you on. And it can also be really hurtful depending on what they're roaring. Um, and I just decided, you know what, I've, I've believed for a long time that, um, being an artist is 50%. You know, it's like we show up, we write what we love, we get to express whatever it is. And the second we hit publish, the second we hit send, the second we like put a book out into the world, that's it. We're done. The other 50% of art has nothing to do with us. The other 50% of art is how people are going to experience something that we've written. The other 50% is how people are going to project and whatever it is, it's like they get to have their experience of the experience and then it becomes their experience and it's not even about us. So there's this really beautiful detachment that I've learned of like, I used to thought that I had to hold space for the reaction of the experience of the experience. And I don't believe that anymore. I believe that the value is just showing up every day to say, here's this offering that I have and, you know, here it is. And, 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 and not actually being there to, to, to hear everything that is said, because as much as my ego sure loves to be loved by people, um, it also hurts to be crucified. And I think that it's not really worth either. And, um, so part of my my boundaries the last four or five months, which actually happened, I got really crucified on Australian media. It was kind of right around that time where I was like, wow, like I'm at a point where I, I, I don't I don't need to be there, you know, and I want to be working on my next books. I want to be doing product development for This Is For The Woman. I want to be hiring sales reps. I want to be designing things. I want to be swimming in the ocean, talking with my friend Seth and, you know, talking about surfing together when we're old. I want to be petting dogs in cafes and, you know, like there's so many things in this world I want to be doing and it takes a lot of life force and energy. And, um, and like I said before, at one point in my life, I literally thought what I was, was Instagram. Like I thought that that was who I am. And because I share slabs of my heart for other people, they probably take it quite literal as well. But a poem is a moment, you know, like a piece of art is a meal that I cook with my hands and I am Yana and I go to bed at night. And so the boundaries that I've created are respecting the fact that like every piece of poem and every piece of art is a meal that I put out into this world and is not who I am. And, um, I can still share art and, you know, be that way with being less involved, which is healthier for me so much because I'm super empathetic. I'm super sensitive. And I don't know if I ever want to have a hard skin and people say, it's just going to get, you know, you're, I have so many friends who are like, you're creating huge ripples and it's just going to get harder and it's just going to get worse. And I, and then you need to get a harder skin. And I'm like, I don't know if that's possible. And, um, so I have an employee who helps me. I have, um, I get like 10% of Instagram messages and comments are business related. So I have somebody who monitors, um, and literally every single day we have a conversation and, you know, she's, she's my employee and she'll say this person wrote this and I'll like direct respond kind of like an executive assistant, um, with what I want replied to. Um, and she'll funnel people who need to get to me on a business level the way that they need to come. And at times I do go on and interact when I feel like that is needed. Um, 
but yeah, I've evolved in that way. And it's, uh, and it's also, there's like a total addiction to being on social media on a personal level, which I've had to wean myself off of. It's like, I don't have the apps right now and I don't even have the passwords to my apps. <laughs> really? No. Oh my God. So I, I also, so you're really not, you're really not on it besides business purposes. I, I go on it as like a, like I'll punch in Yana Robin or this is for them on Instagram to just kind of see how things are doing sometimes. Like I, I want to monitor like how a post is taking, if I ask people a question, but I'm, I'm there like not logged into the account. It's like I'm a visitor, like through Safari looking at Instagram. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, well, what, uh, what app are you using to, to schedule your stuff? First of all. Um, so I use, we actually go in and Serena posts them for me every day. She's my employee. Um, because we were using Hootsuite, but there's limitations. And I really like to like tag photographers in the pictures and credit everybody. And, you know, there's there, Hootsuite and Schedulegram. There are great apps out there, but they just, they don't let you do everything you need to do. Um, and realistically, once we, we use Unum and once we plan it all out, and that was actually, I hired an intern who showed me all of this. She's really great. And we were doing it for This Is For The Woman and that, and it was amazing. And because I've been stressed planning two feeds, and I was like, wait a second, I can totally do this for my personal account. And mm-hmm. that's when all of this was born. Um, but we plan it all out a month in advance. And um, Serena is so brilliant. And she does all of the content creation. And we do like marketing and story strategy for This is for the Woman with a team of about four people. Um, so we source stories and get it all there. And then she goes on and it takes her like 10 to 15 minutes to like post to both This is for the Woman and my page every day and do stories. Um you know, we choose certain times to do it at and, um, yeah. And it's, no one's the wiser, you know, I was like, Oh no, everyone's going to tell that like, but because I'm still creating the content, I'm still touching it. And I don't think that, and that's it. Like if I wasn't even touching the content, I think it would feel, um, less connected and people could tell, but it's still my poems and my words and my photos. It's just not always fresh or relevant to the moment. And why should it always be fresh and relevant to the moment? You know, why are we living, like, why is that also important to people? And I think that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> the other thing, if, if you don't mind, that I say is, like, I've I've really had to, to make that switch and that boundary, because this is what we were talking about was boundaries, um, because I just, like, couldn't manage the energy and sensitivity of it, and... Um, I think it's Brene Brown. She's like, never read the comments. It, it's really fucking hard to not read the comments. <laughs> so what do you think is the most under kind of mm, like what no one's talking about? That sort of the personal, you know, sort of impact that it has on your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that anyone of influence or any kind of celebrity or anyone who isn't a in a public eye, we'll just call it, and has people debating and weighing in on their life understands the magnitude of it. And I have friends who aren't sensitive who are like, take some of my insensitivity and like they laugh. And perhaps people that are in the public eye that don't feel as sensitive don't struggle with it as much. But for me, it's like, it feels like being run over by a bus. Like I get 
like so tricky. Like, and I also get angry because I often feel misunderstood and that things are taken out of context. And then after I, anger is just hurt. So then I'm hurt and then I cry and then I feel less like withdrawal feeling. And then I want to sometimes defend myself or explain myself. But what I'm learning is I can never say it right. So even if I were to come up and give the most perfect public statement or apology, somebody will still be hurt or angry or upset. And so, so th- there was in- instances like when I got slammed on like Today Show Australia and a bunch of news, uh, what I said had been taken so out of context, I did make a public statement saying like, listen, you know, I, I wasn't trying to slam women who've had breast reductions because their back hurts. The conversation I was trying to have is, you know, are we doing the work to love ourselves emotionally and, you know, understand the patriarchal programming and bullshit of our women's worth being attached to their bodies, or are we just getting a boob job? And I want to have that conversation. And um, so I did make a statement saying like, look, are we doing the job to, to love ourselves before we get injections in our face. So there is times where it does feel super important to go in and say, this is what I meant. And then there are other times where um, there's nothing that I can say that will ever be right or good. And the world right now is at a high intensity of pain body with racism, sexism, any kind of discrimination. And I made a comment that triggered people the other day and got torn under a zillion buses. And all of a sudden I was getting tagged for not talking about an African-American woman who had been murdered. And then I, the saying that I was a feminist and I was like, I don't even watch the news and was not choosing to talk or not talk about this woman didn't know about it. And there's so much hurt right now. And there's so much pain around that, that like, I know that I could never write something that could ever dismantle that pain, you know, even if I say I I use that in the wrong context and I'm sorry, and it was unconscious and maybe it was racist and I didn't know. Or if I were to say, I seriously don't think that is racist. And it was a rap song. And I've wrote the founder of this song. I actually wrote him to be like, is this racist? Um, to, to have this conversation, no matter what I say, the only thing that's going to make that pain body heal, the only right thing would be if that pain body didn't exist. So whether people are talking about it, not talking about it, trying to hold space for it, people are triggered because you're either not allowed to talk about it because you're a white or you should be talking about it because you're white and you have privilege. And if you are asking questions, you're not being sensitive to certain, like there's so much pain that it's like the muckiest, most hurtful waters to get into. And in my heart of hearts, I'm the woman who two days ago was in a parking lot and was reversing into the stall. And this guy beside me was talking to me at my plates, and he was like, "Oh, you know, you're, you're a, you know, you're Canadian." He's like, "I have a friend from Iran who um, the other day said he had to leave because it was no Canadians left. There was just Chinese people, and it like took me a minute to register. And then I looked at him, and I was like, that wasn't funny. That was super racist. Like, why did you even say that to me?'" What does that have anything to do with me being from Canada? And like, I I constantly am the woman who will look at somebody when they're being racist and just not even humor it or, you know, laugh uncomfortably and walk away, but just say like, yo, you're being racist. So to be called racist and to be feel misunderstood like that, um, 
it hurts. It hurts. And, um, you know, there's a whole, it hurts a lot more when there's like 90,000 people yelling at you and you're triggering pain bodies all over the place. You're just trying to manage and go like, no, no, I'm on your side. I just ordered a fuck Trump hat. I'm the girl who like tells people, like, you know, like it's like, wow. And there's just so much energy and it's so intense. And I think eventually people hire people to do PR, right. To, to manage, when things are either people make a mistake or something they say gets blown out of context and then there's hurt. That's why we have public relations. And when you're at a tipping point of like not quite having enough money to have public relations and not even knowing that you need it, um, you're just trying to figure that shit out on your own. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a real thing. And, the other side of managing other people's hurt is like, it hurts. It hurts on the other end and trying to hold space for your hurt with other people's hurt and anger and your own anger. And I think, yeah, it was Brené Brown was saying she, whenever anyone writes her a shitty email, she would sit in the email reply box and she would write out like, all of the anger and like, you're like a fucking asshole and I can't believe the blah, 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 blah. And then she would send it to her husband so that she could get that like send button, like, like she's replying, you know, get it out. And then, and then one, you know, and one time she says in her book at one time, she actually sent it to the person. It was like, Oh my God. Um, but you know, it's like, we have to also hold space for ourselves when we're in the public eye to be misunderstood. And it's fucking hard. And, um, I, I don't, it's, 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 I'm, I'm learning. I'm always learning. And eventually I'm going to look forward to having enough money to pay somebody, having enough money to pay people to be in your ring. And when you don't just kind of like floundering and trying to like take care of yourself and put out fires and like sometimes let the fire burn and just cover your head and like lay on the ground and try and not get burnt by stuff that really most of the time isn't about you. And because as humans, we're just walking around seeing ourselves and everyone. And um, as a as a writer, it often feels like people are just throwing up their breakfast all over you and blaming you for it. You have to like pick off like their scrambled eggs and remind them that it was their scrambled egg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on that on that note, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about you? I think that the title of my book, <laughs> this is for the women who don't give a fuck. I think there are probably people in this world who think that I don't give a fuck. And you know, that's, <laughs> that, is the, that is the name of the poem, which is the title of the book. Um, but I actually care about humans more than almost anybody that I know and am the most sensitive and loving and um, generous and supportive and will give you the shirt off my back and to a fault at times um, give a fuck about people in this world. And um, sometimes it feels hard knowing that that perception probably is out there. And um, if you read the poem, then you know what it means. And if you read the book, you'll know that it is not about that. I think that it's important to definitely let go of the whole not giving a, a fuck part of it is just about being who we are, right? And just like 
just being who we are and letting go of, of loving ourselves before you are what you love and not what loves you. You know, it's about standing in your authenticity and claiming and liberating yourself by like walking tall in who you are. And it doesn't mean that I'm like a, a millennial driving drunk, like running over old people, um, <laughs> which I'm sure some people might get that perception. Um, but I, I sometimes... I want people to look beyond titles of anything and hear what is really there and take a moment to understand something. And I think that, that, that has been a conflict for me of calling my book that of like, do I want it? Like people come up to me and they'll be like, are you the woman who doesn't give a fuck? And I go like, yeah, that's me, but, (laughs) (laughs) but really, but really, I was just late for an opera concert because I was buying this guy Joe, a, who's homeless, a sandwich and sitting with him mm. outside with his dog. And like, you know, I, I walk around this world really seeing and loving and honoring strangers, people in my life um, deeply. And, uh, and, and only the people that know me in the flesh will know that. Or maybe maybe it comes through in my writing. I don't know. I also write poems that probably feel ruthless and reckless, but um, yeah. I think knowing you in the flesh, it's, well, I don't know. I think it comes through in your writing too, but it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's thinking outside of the box of like what we think it means to not give a fuck and redefining it, which really I think your work is all about is redefining what it means to be a woman, what it means to care about things, what it means to you know, have courage and passion and all of that. So let's, since we're kind of on this path, let's continue going down it and talking about what, like your, your work and your writing is so much about empowering, um, empowering others and, and helping people, especially women walk tall and in their truth. So what do you think, first of all, how would you define an empowered woman? I would say an empowered woman um, doesn't have any fear in her heart to just be who she is. Um, When I think of an empowered woman, she isn't loud or obnoxious or strong even in the sense of, you know, I think we, our our perception of strength is so masculine. Um, I just think of somebody who feels safe in who they are and doesn't need to say it too loudly or prove it that just like, knows it and is at home with their soul. And what do you think that as a woman living in our world today, where we're being, we're kind of at this tipping point where we're going into this new time period where we are coming more into a feminine time, but we have so much masculinity in our, in our like program Mm -hmm. so deeply into us. So for a woman that is really struggling to cultivate this sense of self and self-confidence, what would you, what advice would you give her? How do you do this? I think that that you're totally right with the fact that we've adopted uh, masculinity and especially in feminism and women's rights just to like survive and be heard and have a leg to stand on. And it's still not effective because it's what, you know, it, it isn't effective and we're, and we're learning, we're learning about a softer way and it's that the rise of the feminine 
honestly should be in softest. And I, I balance between both legs of being the shock value, like loud, like get people's attention as well as the soft and the hard and the love. And we all have masculine and feminine inside of us. Um, so it's also okay to have moments where both are there, but I think that we don't, we don't shift and radically change this world by being loud. I think it's really going to come from the heart space and, you know, the, the feminine is about nurturing and loving and caring. And, um, I think that to be able to step into that era and this next place where we're going with everyone, hopefully women embracing their femininity, men embracing their femininity, femininity, having a place to rise into is we also have to like, on a really internal level, let go of some of the sh- shame that's super unconscious that probably is there to, in some level of like being a woman or shame about our emotions, shame about being too needy, shame about the things that like stereotypically women get called. And to be able to understand that those are strengths. Like I, I think that as women to lead, we need to cry in front of people. <laughs> God, like I think we all need to cry and men need permission to touch their hearts and cry. And sometimes even myself, I will want to cry often and then apologize and I'll catch myself and being like, this is like repressed shame crap about there not being space for emotions. And from growing up, you know, in the service industry, even in hearing, leave your emotions at the door, leave it all at the door and walk through. And it's so damaging of like, no, if I'm in a business meeting and it feels hard, I need to allow myself to cry sometimes. You know, I need to, I need to, to acknowledge that I'm disappointed and, you know, I'm having a moment. And I think to lead like women and also create a space of, of balance in this world with a feminine rising, there just needs to be more attention to the ways in which we even re- repress our and shame our own femininity within ourselves unconsciously. And then once that awareness is there, the accountability to create space for it from a space of like love and compassion and empathy and, and not in a, like, I'm going to cry because, but just like, just like let it out, you know, let our, let ourselves be feminine, feminine. We're more into, we're more intuitive. You know, there's like this, this like have pride in the fact that we're intuitive human beings and that our work is maybe less structured or however it is. And, um, I, I think that those are key. Those are more about making peace within ourselves and being aware of how we operate in this world and being aware of like ancestral repressed shame pieces around the feminine, which is really what we need to heal this whole planet. And just kind of coming to terms with that within ourselves, becoming comfortable with it, having expression and um, eradicating our own shame. And what do you think about, tell me about so much of this is subconscious, like you said. So how, what is the practice? What is the process of bringing that up from the surface when it's something so deeply ingrained and some things aren't even our own and we don't even own it. It's like, you know, our great grandmas or something that is just, we carry it with us now. So can you talk on that? Yeah. So, um, What's showing up for me, and I hope this is on context, <laughs> is like I have, I'm lucky to have really beautiful, understanding men in my life. And um, 
actually, even today, I was I was had a, a debate about politics and philosophy in the ocean with my friend who I surf with, and um, I got emotionally triggered because we were not agreeing on something that this polarized views on this thing was going to mean that we were like that I was going to lose him as a friend, and like he's my spirit animal, and we like our teeth get a tan when we hang out every time because we laugh so hard. And I just got gripped by this like total fear and insecurity, which comes from my dad, dad stuff of like, he's going to leave even in in that, not in a romantic sense, just as a friendship. And I I got triggered in it and I felt shame around expressing it, or I didn't want to be too emotional or too needy or too off track. And then I, I just was like, fuck it. And so I just told him, I was like, listen, like, I'm, I'm aware that this is probably to do with like dad wound stuff, but I like, I love you and think you're my spirit animal and I don't ever want to lose our friendship. And I want to surf with, he's a bit older than me. And I'm like, I want to surf with you till we're both really old. And, you know, I want to see your kids grow up. And I was scared and he just came over and held beautiful space and was like, like, I love you and I'm not going anywhere. And we're allowed to have different opinions and like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere and just like held this beautiful space for me to have this emotional reaction to something that wasn't even truly relevant to what we were talking about. and was probably wound based and it like we, our eyes watered and we had this like sweet time warp piece and, you know, feel closer than I've ever felt to this human. And if I would have shamed and shunned the part of me that wanted to have this emotional interaction where I like nurture this part of me that needs to be heard and seen, I wouldn't have grown and he also wouldn't have grown. And so being able to own emotional stuff and reactions or whatever it is and, and not feel embarrassed about it reminds men that they're also allowed to be emotional and they don't need to be embarrassed about it because their pain and, and, and rigidity and not having an allowance to be an emotional human as a man, because then it equals weakness that's been ingrained in them for centuries and needs to be uninhibited, right? It needs to be let go and freed and they need to step into their hearts. So we really need to step into our hearts. So the way that I actively do it is just, just honoring, like having it show up and trusting that the people around me can handle it. And knowing that if they can't handle it, that we're never too much for our crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about um, when those moments of self-doubt or negative self-talk come in, come into the surface um, of your mind. What what do you do to overcome it? Um, just just acknowledging that, like the part of you that's like, oh, it's too much, or it's too emotional, or you know, it's too needy, or whatever it is, is like. I just know that's all bullshit, you know, (laughs) like the, the humans that unconditionally love me have never, ever, 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 ever told me I've been too much. And anyone who's ever told me that I've been too much is uncomfortable or guarded or has their own emotional process and just can't handle how open I am because they're not that open with themselves and it's not about me. So just remembering that um, for any time that I've heard those words, it really, it's, we can never be too much and our needs are never invalidated and are always important. And um, stepping into, thank God I've had like 10 years of self-development to be able to catch myself in those moments and go like, no, my feelings matter. You know, like, 
like this, this story is here and who knows where it came from, but like my feelings absolutely matter and, and there is space and, and then a bigger trust that, you know, if a human doesn't have space that we're having this moment for me to know that I don't need to create space for that human anymore. And there's someone out there that, um, you know, will have a, a bigger emotional intelligence and understanding and capacity to, to love and, and be there. I love that. And I think that that's so, I love like just even that shift that you can make when you catch yourself going there. Um, because so much is like beyond what other people say to us, it's like our own internal narrative. And so to just be able to catch it and give it space and know that your feelings matter. Totally. Um, I think that's so important. So when you, when you talk about well, this is for the woman. I know that you started it off of this desire to, you started it like for the woman who's walking into the room and feeling yeah. like shrinking, right? And it's a tribute to walking tall in life. And I just think like, for example, let's go to that place, you know, that barbecue or event or something like that. And as an entrepreneur or creative or so when you're walking into that family barbecue or gathering where you're about to be inundated with the question that the only question people seem to like to ask, which is what do you do, um, which can spark a lot of different insecurities and self-doubt or just kind of unsure feelings for many people, um, what do you do? How do you handle the situation and, and stay tall and confident in it. Well, I feel like I actually have the easiest, I actually feel like my ego loves that question. Like my ego, when I get asked that question, I'm like rolling around naked and honey um, because I'm super proud of the fact that I've been courageous enough to walk away from a life that I didn't and wasn't happy in for a long time. I really, you know, I served and bartended and traveled and worked sales jobs. And I, I feel so blessed. Um, you know, at first it was exciting and now I feel blessed and grateful that every day I get to wake up and like be paid to exactly who I am and that people believe in me and are like, sure, here's 10 grand, like come on this retreat and speak at this thing. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. You know, I get to go play and be who I am and I'm, I'm thriving. And, um, so that question is the funnest question I get asked. Cause I've also the reactions are like, you're a poet, like what? And like, you know. yeah. So, what do you say to this question? I, I, well, I, there's this. I have a mentor who said that it was somebody. It was one of Leonard Cohen's business humans. I don't know who it was, but it was to do with Leonard Cohen. And and this mentor said, you know, as a as a poet, you have three jobs. Your first job is to say that you are a poet without apologizing, and your second job is to write poetry, and your third job is to share it because there are so many people out there who will never encompass the words to express how they're feeling. And you will absolutely free them in, in sharing and the same experience that they're having. So like, please share your writing. And I, I had always danced around claiming that I was a poet. I would just say, I'm a writer, blah, blah. And, and now I say, I'm a poet with like a big ass smile. And they're like, what? like on a blog and I'll be like, no, I have a book. And they're like, what? And then what do you write about? And it's like my life. And, you know, and I also 
make poetry films and I do consulting with other artists and I used to host retreats and I, I have a, a media and apparel brand called this is for the woman. And I do public speaking and they're always like, Holy fuck. You know, you're like, you're like, that's why you're so sparkly. You know, that's why you're so happy. And like, people are always pretty curious and, you know, I've had one guy who was like, ah, that's why. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're just so happy, you know? And I was trying to figure it out and, you know, you have figured it out. You're, you're being who you are in this life. So I, I feel excited about that question. And there is a part of my ego that totally gets off on being like a poet. Um, because and it's still exciting, you know, like it's exciting for me that I used to, you know, I'm making four or five times what I made uh, doing things I hated because I thought that I had to do the things that I hated to, to make it. And now I'm like, I'm doing five times the amount of money that I ever imagined there. And it's actually really fun and I love it. And like, just like so cool, you know? So I, I, I like that job. I like that question. But I also think that, I also think that, uh, the the people that I want around me are the ones who understand that, you know, we are not what we do. We are who we are. And I wish that that was a better question. I guess I wish we could just, instead of saying like, what do you do? We could be like, who are you? Like, totally. I think we just need are- better questions. <laughs> yeah. And I actually ask it too. It's funny. You were saying that. I was like, Oh, I ask people that all the time. And I always ask them, does it give you joy? Like they'll be like, oh, I'm an accountant or and I'm like, does it give you joy? And sometimes they're like, yeah, I love it. And other times they're like, no, I fucking hate it. And then we'll have a conversation about that. And it's cool because because for me, like I'm at a tow truck driver who I never thought that being a tow truck driver could ever be a fuck. Yes. Who like loved his job, like his like that was it for him. Like he had lollipops. He, you know, he would show up. People would be bummed because their like cars would be locked in. He was smiling. He would give you candy. He was like this bright sunshine globe because his dharma and his life's work is seriously what he was doing. And that's why we don't all need to be poets or speakers or whatever to be in our dharma. Our dharma. So an accountant, that could be their dharma and what they get joy from. So I also get excited um, being able to like ask them that as well. I'm just going to tell the story. I, I was living in Victoria, locked my keys in my car. This tow truck driver showed up and he was like this bright globe of a human. And, you know, he had candy. I got like a chocolate bar and he was just like, had some fun music playing. And he was like, Hey, and like, just totally like, you know, when you lock your keys in your car, you're like late to get somewhere, you're stressed, you're like a fucking rain cloud. And he just came in and like knocked me out of the water with his positivity and excitement. And we started talking and, and you know, I was like, do you really like this? You like this job? And he's like, I love this job. And I was like, don't you ever want to like live somewhere else? Like, wouldn't you want to be somewhere tropical? And he was like, I hate hot weather. Like, I love the climate here. Like, this is my like, fuck yes. Um, he didn't say fuck yes, but like truly like living in Victoria, being a tow truck driver was his fuck yes. And it radically shifted my perception that we all needed to do extraordinary things because being an accountant can be your dharma. You know, being a tow truck driver can be your dharma. Working at McDonald's can be your dharma. And there's no there's no shame in it. It's just like what makes us fill fills us with joy? You know, what do we get energy from? When you love what you do, it gives you energy, which is why I was saying earlier, 
Sometimes I work till 11 at night, but I'm not like, oh, I'm working till 11 at night. I'm going like, God, I'm so fucking excited about this, you know, and, and just lit on fire with, with passion and ambition and excitement. So um, I forget what we were talking about before, but I, I do think that Dharma comes in different faces and forms and um, it, it's, it's so beautiful. And I also think that, you know, we truly are not also what we do, what we like, like I was saying, the writing in my books are meals that I cook and I am Yana and I go to sleep in a bed at night and I wake up and take a morning shit and drink a coffee like every other human. And those, that is who we are, right? The human that when we're walking around, it's almost better to lead with like, hi, you know, like, who are you? You know, it's like, what do you love to do? Like, and, and maybe we, yeah, I think you're right. We just need to get better questions. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. But let's say for someone who is in a point where they're not loving, they're not loving their career, they're not loving, they're not feeling totally in them in their skin or following their truth, they're at that point, they're at a transition or whatever. What advice would you give them? How can they walk tall and with confidence, even when they're not feeling that confidence in themselves? So. Number one thing, I had a call with a friend recently who is over what he's doing, but made some agreements and doesn't want to leave it yet. And it's causing a bunch of, you know, stress and anxiety. And, and I had to remind him that he wasn't lost because he knew that he didn't want to be doing the job that he was doing and he was choosing to be there anyway. So it's good to remember that like, Are any awareness, knowing what you don't want to do is just as important as knowing what you do want to do. So having this awareness of like, okay, I used to love being a lawyer and now I don't. It's like, be fucking grateful and like so thankful that that hasn't even showed up and that you haven't had to like work that job till you get a heart attack. And then someone tells you like, you know, you can't work this job anymore. It stresses you out because that does happen too. Our bodies give out to give us a message. Um, And so I think that being able to, when that awareness comes to us, just have so much fucking empathy and compassion towards ourselves of knowing that jobs also come into our lives for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. And it's not always a lifetime. And sometimes it is just a season and a reason. And how amazing that many of us are able to go back to school or to pursue a different career. And you know, we can go back to school when we're 50 or th- there's just so much possibility and opportunity out there. And like, we're the first, like right now there are still wars happening, but our parents before us, like they couldn't take self-development courses and work with life coaches on what they wanted to to do. You know, there's definitely um, uh, an abundance and a, a real privilege in, in the time that we are living in and the, the, the diversity of choices that we have. And so I think it's good to not beat ourselves up, be like, cool, I fell off the horse of who I am and I'm not doing what I love and awareness is the first step. And then it's like, okay, how am I going to be accountable? Am I going to stay here for 10 years and feel trapped because I want the pension or I'm afraid of X, Y, Z, or am I going to have the courage to exit this with as much grace as I entered? And that takes trying new things. It takes like I said, courage is the biggest piece. Um, sometimes it takes gradually, you know, starting something or being somewhere else. And um, you, for even for surfing, right? It's like I know a woman who's started to surf a couple of years ago, and now she's like traveling the world and is a 
the surf, uh, an international surfer in Bali. And she only has been doing it for a couple of years. And if she wouldn't have known that was her path or her dharma or what she would get paid to do, um, if she wouldn't have tried it. So it's like, we have to be courageous enough to try new things to know if they're what we love. And if we're just staying stuck in what we're doing and feeling trapped and not trying new things, we're not going to get out of it. And I would also say, don't look to people who are trapped to give you advice because, (laughs) because of course, everybody else who's like miserable and doesn't feel like they can change their lives is going to tell you that you just have to be miserable and there's no way to change your life. So don't go there for advice. Don't go to your friends who are conservative and um, like go to, go to the, go to the idealist. You know, I, I always say that we, we never create change by being realists. We have to, to, to manifest and create something extraordinary. Um, we have to believe more than we can see in front of our face. And realism hurts us sometimes. It can, it's sometimes it's good, but it can totally hurt us. And I think, so life advice. First thing is be gentle on yourself when you have the awareness of that where you are isn't where you want to be. And then have that, then you need to execute accountability. So like try new things, give yourself a timeline. Okay. I'm going to, in this next year, I'm going to like try a pottery class or I'm going to try a kayaking thing, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look at seriously sit down with myself and look at what I'm interested in and what my hobbies are. And even if I don't think I could ever make money off them, just acknowledge like what I like to do. And Mark Manson has a beautiful article where he, it's called screw finding your passion. And he says like, people write me emails all day long saying, you know, I don't know what I want to do. I need to find my passion. And in, in his article, he says like, fuck you. Like, of course, you know what you love to do. You love to write comic books, but you don't think you can make any money at it. And like, go out there and try fucking publish comic books and then come knock at my door. Like when we were kids, we just went to the playground and we played with bugs or we built sandcastles or we went on the slides and we didn't care what other people thought or how much money we were going to make. We just did things for the joy of it. And if you want to connect to your dharma and your life's work, like you need to be playful and open and less skeptical and cynical of like, oh, it's a saturated market. Oh, everybody's a yoga teacher. Everyone's a massage therapist. It's like, just be brave enough to acknowledge that you love something and be courageous enough to invest and believe in yourself that like, I don't know, maybe it could become a fucking career, you know? And so that's my biggest is like have awareness, have empathy, have compassion, and then go be courageous and try new shit because you might fall flat on your face into the most amazing epic life and then get to inspire the other people who feel like they're trapped to also find out what their epic life is. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Like it's so much more simple than we make it. We make it so complicated for ourselves. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Totally. And like, and then also like, I'm going to go homeless. It's like, you're not going to go homeless. Like, yeah, we, we go like know. exactly to the worst possible situation. It's, yeah. It's like, you could probably get, you know, walk into Starbucks and get a job and get a roommate and live in a room that costs $400 for a little while, or like borrow a bit of money from your parents or like, we're probably not going to go homeless. And everyone's afraid of it. Just so you guys know, I'm afraid of going homeless. Everyone is. okay what are on that note what are some of your other fears what's your greatest fear would you say Mm. I got asked that recently um 
I am terrified of like, oh, I'm terrified of like killing somebody, like driving and hitting oh a biker God. or getting in a car accident because I'm the eternal rescuer. You know, I'm, I'm the one who wants to resuscitate and love all of humankind. And um, I actually was in a car accident four months ago or not four months ago, two months ago. And it was my fault. And the guy was fine and the cars were totaled and I was, I had some whiplash, but it was like, you know, this, this fear of, of being the the person to like off somebody and to not be present enough or whatever it is. It, that's probably my, and also people that I love dying, you know, that's who's not afraid of that. Um, so it's just to get real heavy on you. <laughs> yeah. No, I like it. Um, so if you could – you talk a lot about coaching, um, and I, it's a big part of your – both in regards to your personal mentorship and you coaching and mentoring other writers as well and doing life coaching. Um, so is this something – how do you think that – having a coach has helped you? What's the biggest way? And is this something that you still um, have a personal one and find value in? Yeah, I was talking with someone the other day about like how much I hate the word coach. And I actually, I use it. And there's just like, we all know that self-development and spirituality has been commercialized and that there's like a fuck ton of coaches teaching shit who like aren't fully in alignment and are guiding other people. And like, we all know that there's like that. spiritual materialism, oh, there's and, so much yeah. shit out there. So I, I understand people yeah. triggering with life coaches. Cause I get it too. It's like every ad is like how to become a life coach and make $400,000. So, yeah. um, I've used, mentor and um recently li- literary coach and consultant um but it doesn't fucking matter what we call it i hold space for people i've always held space for people whether i was a coach or not a coach um and i think that when we heal ourselves we heal this world and um we all need to do our work to heal our shit so of course having people in my life to guide and hold space for me is important and of course other people having people in their space their their life to hold space for them is important and I always have um, one person I've worked with for about 10 years who is my baseline, who I call upon for everything. And then I will also hire, I have business mentors and I will hire other people to work with me. I just hired a money coach um, to work at like time or money management and budgeting. And like, just so that when my taxes don't show up, I'm like, oh shit, I owe 40 grand because that happens. Uh, (laughs) So stuff like that. It's like, I think it's, you know, their guides and um and I, I definitely have I've worked with a holistic sex sex and intimacy coach. I've worked with yeah, I'm working with this money coach. I've worked with therapists, um, taken self development courses. I've taken lots of other online courses on embracing the feminine and, you know, being a siren and um all of it is valuable. All of it? Is there one thing that you would recommend the most to someone who's looking to dive into self-development? Yeah, I would just say that we're not taught emotional intelligence in school and emotional intelligence is one of the most important things and having an awareness over who you are, what your wounds are, how you react 
is massive and it allows you to manage yourself and the humans in your life so much easier. Um, and it's a gift I think we all need to give ourselves. And um, there's also a lot of people out there that are sitting on pedestals who I don't agree should be on pedestals. And um, I think it's important to be discerning and trust your gut. And if you feel like if there's like shamans that are having sex with people in ceremonies while they're like under ayahuasca. Like there are fucked up people that are leading in spirituality. So also if your gut goes like, I'm just getting a creepy vibe from this person or like they don't feel quite legit or they feel slimy, like don't work with them. There's a saturated, there's so many people out there and I'm not saying walk around being distrustful, but like trust yourself before you trust a guru. And if people give you advice, pick up what resonates with you and let go of anything that doesn't. And do be aware that spirituality has been commercialized on and be discerning in how you walk forward. And I'm not saying that people need to have a million certifications and whatever, but be like, you know, is your coach walking in alignment? You know, is there, are there things that are working out in their life or if they're like broke living in their car, they probably have some work to do in that moment. And not that they can't hold space and aren't a great coach, but like maybe they need some time to figure their stuff out. And that's like not who you should be working with right now. So I think just really being discerning in your choice and just like trusting your gut. It's that like, yes, no feeling of like, yeah, this feels really good. Or like, eh. like if there's any, eh, don't do it. No. Yeah, totally. All right. If you could have a giant, massive billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting with the ability to get a message out to millions of billions of people, what would it say and why? Hmm. I'm going to have to think about that for a second. A big billboard. (sighs) Gosh, there's so many. There's so many things. And there's like, I have this really comedic side that is having all kinds of thoughts <laughs> like what? what was the first thought um I think that we need to laugh more so it, it was a combination of like an impactful message it's also going to make people laugh um billboards hey hmm I think that I'm going to make a shirt that's that's going to come out um Well, right now I would like, I would just say like, you know, Instagram isn't real life. Social media isn't real life. Uh, I also coming out with a shirt that says be a silver Fox, don't Botox. And, um, I like the message of women doing the emotional work before getting body work done. And that feels important. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's one phrase that I would, I would want plastered over with with it's not enough like it's like twitter like i feel like that's like a like you know like the twitter used to have that words capped it's like i can't fucking express myself in 20 characters like fuck you twitter go home so the idea of having like a, a max on what i could put on a billboard it's like yeah sure give me like a billboard as big as like texas and then i can express myself <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we're just gonna leave that one right there Uh, Uh, I love that (laughs) okay I totally agree on people laughing more my mom always told me that you just need the what did she say she said never lose the shits and the giggles (laughs) 
And I think that that's so important to just like, you know, people start taking themselves so seriously. It's like, just don't lose the shits and the giggles and you'll be okay. (laughs) Okay, let's transition into your company. This is for the woman. Tell me everything about what's going on with it. Um, What do you have coming up? What's next? What are you most excited about? Gosh, there's so many things. I actually just had a conversation yesterday for three hours with somebody who I consult with. And um, I had a huge wholesale request order come through for my new rings that I launched. And um, I was like, which was exciting. And then I was like, wow, wholesale, because we're doing really well for an e-commerce platform, but I, I really want to like take over this world. And I also had like a five-year plan with this for the one that's like super big, which I can lo- loosely jump on. Um, but uh, I, I'm going to have like sales reps and that feels super exciting because I'm going to start getting into stores and um, I really have so many avenues and ways that this is for the woman could evolve that take a lot of energy and time and then balancing it with being a writer and wanting to publish books and like make poetry films. And there's just so many things that call me in different ways that it's just like putting expectations of like, okay, in the next 10 years that will happen. But um, also like the idea of like a we day event, like this is for the women with like different speakers and um, this is for the women workshops. We're going to start incorporating those, I think in the next year. And um, I also eventually want to transition because currently um, I, all of our product is made in the USA and it's, it felt really important to me to choose integrity over money and you know that that remains important to me and i've been trying to figure out a cause and like a, a way to give back with a company and i I've, i want to transition into the clothing and everything being made by like women's collectives and um i've, I've collaborated with like a metal smith and a, a pillow and like I, I do collaborate with women but i'm thinking like the other thing people don't know is things that are made in the US, the, and I didn't even know this when I started to investigate the markets and go to people who make made in Canada and made in USA stuff, it is, it's not ever 100% made in the US because the fabric is always like made, like cotton is made in like El Salvador. And then the fabric is shipped over and then they sew it and print it here. But like the, the whole production doesn't go down in the U.S. because we can't have fucking cotton plants everywhere because the U.S. has 336 million people and they're like falling over each other all the time. Um, so I think there's this misconception. And also for myself, it's like the U.S. doesn't need more money and things don't need to be made in the U.S. with integrity. So I actually have plans to shift my manufacturing into women's collectives and um, do it in a really big way and actually eventually have manufacturing companies. And um, I want to work with paying women um, Canadian and U.S. wages that are in other places and like in a, in a big way. It's like people – I used to work with street dogs – and I would do these fundraisers for years supporting this rabies campaign in Todos Santos, Guatemala. And we would raise eight or 10 grand every year. And um, I had people would always go like, well, there's street, you know, there's random street dogs up north in Alaska and, you know, why Guatemala? And I would always go like, 
listen, guys, there's one fucking world for me. And a dog is a dog, wherever that dog is. And I give a fuck about all the dogs. And I feel this, the why of this is for the woman is for a woman to walk tall. And it's not about women just walking tall in Canada and the US. It's all over the world. And so it's like, I, I want to go have impact in different countries. And I have this visual of like this big white manufacturing company with a big W on it and like having all women working there and other businesses that are owned by women coming in and it's totally overwhelming as well because I'm like, I don't even have fucking manufacturing companies and laws and different countries and all sorts of stuff that shows up. But um, that's where I want to go as well as like, you know, there's like, I want to do maybe this is for the woman magazine. Like there's, there's so many avenues and, and stuff that can be done there. Um, and I'm, I'm just establishing all of that and, you know, who we are. And the biggest piece is like, I think that woman walking tall will heal this fucking planet and I want that. And so in everything, it's like people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And I don't think people are like, I'm doing $10,000 a month in sales of my, this is for the women who don't give a fuck shirts. People aren't just wearing that slogan. They understand what my work and what the why is of the company. And that's what takes and that's a cause that matters to people. And that's why it's going to continue to grow. And it, I, it that's the beautiful thing. It's like, it's not just when something is moving, when a business is thriving, it's, it's the energy behind it. And it's that meaning and that cause behind it. And as long as I keep focusing on that meaning and cause, we're just going to continue to grow in really beautiful ways. How do you keep your mind organized when you have all these different avenues that you want to go down? <laughs> Woohoo! I uh, I hired a full time employee. Um, I have other people that are contracted monthly to work with me, um, and I I you know time management like sometimes blocking off like two hour blocks of time where I focus on like okay this is workshop planning time or. On Tuesday, I'm just working with my consulting clients on their, you know, that are writers on their books or their websites and not meshing everything together. And, you know, when we multitask, our IQ drops by like 15%. So um, it definitely is a challenge because I'm a creator and I throw wall or throw ideas into the air all day long that excite me. Um, so being grounded and, and choosing a path of like, okay, today, like I'll put in my calendar, like, go to the social security office that one o'clock, you know, it's like, cause we have to have that. And then you show up as if like, you know, there's part of you that's sitting there waiting for you. Um, yeah. So I, I really, I really honor, try to do like, you know, a day where I'm doing something like me and Serena will have like a three hour call where we brainstorm like marketing and ambassadors and campaigns and, product development for this is for the woman and we'll have like a three hour call in an afternoon and like I'm just doing that you know I'm just gonna be there or if I need to even go do an errand for my business or meet an accountant it's like just having respected blocks for each thing to keep it organized when I used to write and work for different companies before my business got big enough that it was able to just be that I would have a day of the week that was dedicated to each person. And it was like, if this person from this publication wants to talk with me or have meetings, 
Mondays are our day. And if this person wants to talk with me, Tuesdays are our day. And I write content for this person on Wednesday and only on Wednesdays. And then it created boundaries and respect too of like those people from those companies that wanted to work with me. It was like, this is my day to connect. This is my day that I am honoring and being present in your company and what I'm contributing. And this is when we get to show up to be there for one another. Um, and so that's kind of one of the ways that I like lay down the law in, and also with myself too, of like, I'll put in my calendar, like, okay, I'm doing an international workshop. I think on like in like three weeks, um, on love languages and how to use them in business and personal. And it's like putting down that at two o'clock I'm working the, for the copy on that and, you know, the images and stuff. And I sit down and I, I literally imagine that it's like a client call at two o'clock. Like I have to honor my calendar and myself and what I put in there is deeply as if there was another human. That's great. And I think, yeah, what you said about getting the, getting the help is probably huge. Oh yeah. So let's, I want to do a couple rapid fire questions and then we can, you can tell us about your book tour and whatever else you have coming up. So what do you think is, what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life? Hmm. Um, Charles Bukowski, um, how to love a dog or like a dog from hell. I think it was love is a dog from hell. Um, that's where I learned to write poetry was reading Charles Bukowski and also where I learned to just be all of who I was, even if it was offensive and just like that he was such a success and touched so many people and moved so much, um, constantly reminds me that I have space to do that as well. He's permission for me to be shocking, to say the things in knowing that other people have done it and that good art isn't neutral. The five languages of love. Um, I'm teaching a workshop on that because I seriously think that our entire world needs to understand how to see and love one another and understand how other people love and see each other. Um, that book radically changed my world. I also love um, Stefan Cope is a book called The Great Works of Your Life that follows the story of different people in their dharma, like Jane Goodall and Beethoven. And, you know, if they were supported by their parents and their journeys and, um, it was such a, it's such a beautiful account, um, of some of the greats of our time in many different ways and their personal journeys and, um, being able to observe and relate and, um, feel understood in, in the stories that are in there has been really impactful for me. Mm. In the last five years, what new belief habit or behavior has most improved your life? Hmm. Um, that I'm completely sacred and that I need to honor how sacred I am and the specialness of who I am and to nurture myself and be discerning in personal romantic business and just embody this sense of self-respect and love that I've, I've truly lacked for a lot of my life. And I'm just getting to really understand it's like, okay, oh, I'm worthy without doing anything. I'm worthy without giving anything. I don't need to tell this person that I've had a huge success in my business to be worthy of their attention and love. And I don't want to tell them that to get their attention and love. And, um, you know, just, just really, embracing the sacredness of who I am and holding that just as like the highest as the highest point in, in how I maneuver this life and choices and humans and um, self-respect and self-love. I love that. Oh, 
<laughs> I love you. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Um, I love you um, too. Okay. <laughs> You're just warming my heart over here. <laughs> okay. What is one of the most uh, worthwhile investments you've ever made? It could be time, energy, or money, or something else. Ooh, there's so many. I have so much to say. Uh, I invested in a coach that cost $1,000 a month when I was making $1,300 a month. Um, This, yeah, and that investment radically shifted my context of how much money I could make and ultimately how much money we make is a reflection of what we believe we are worth. Um, So it really forced me to embrace my worth and create and manifest abundance in a really big way. Cause when you're accountable for paying someone else, you're like, Oh shit. And I made it happen. And then I, you know, continued to invest in hiring a talent manager who had a retainer of like $2,500 us. And every time I make a really large, scary investment, you know, hiring a full-time employee had a whole fucking emotional process around that of like, this person is dependent on me. I'm paying her rent. I'm feeding her. If I, if I fail, we fail together, you know, and that pressure and, um, being able to make those investments has done the wildest thing where it's like, then, you know, if I needed to, at the time that I needed to hire my, um, my coach. So when I had to hire my coach, it was like, okay, now I need to be making, two grand a month or whatever it was, or, you know, close 2,500 or three grand. It's like, once I created the abundance to pay him and I continued to create the abundance to pay him, um, once I stopped working with him, I still continued to make 2,500 or three grand. And if I would have never have made that investment, I would have continued to believe that 1,500 was thriving. You know, I would have continued to exist in that level of abundance. And then I, you know, fast forward some time, I hire this talent manager where it's like, okay, I need to be making six grand a month or seven grand a month or whatever it was, created an abundance of seven grand a month and continued to make that after I let her go. So, or after we like the retainer period ended and she was on commission. So it's, it's been so important for me in shifting from, you know, scarcity and being a broke artist. And, you know, my mom grew up on welfare. So I, I hadn't really experienced a lot of like wealth and to be able to, um, to be able to, to be in a space of abundance wouldn't have been possible without investing that money in myself. And so it's an honor to let people pay me to work with me, to invest in themselves and for them to experience like, holy fuck, I can afford a coach at this much money or whatever. You know, I can go to this retreat. I can spend this on myself. And I know that that experience of giving that money to somebody else has helped me radically shift my context of abundance so deeply that it is also a gift in, in, in giving that space to other people. Um, what do you think is the secret sauce to success? I think that I think that figuring out the balance and connection to spirit and joy with our dharma and you know maintaining our relationships and balancing it all is a super important ingredient. Um, but I really just think that it's just figuring out what gives us joy and creating a way to play in that joy all day and um, you know whether it's work or not work just being in that energy of, of alignment, which is lightness and, and, um, 
just like that lightness space feels really, really important. So being able to know ourselves well enough to know what it is that we want to apply ourselves to, and then just finding a way to create a space to, to just live in that. What purchase of a hundred dollars or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Acupuncture. <laughs> uh, any kind of body work, man. Body work is not a hundred. Body work is like we store so much shit in our muscles, so much emotions in our bodies. Body work is like a fucking soul adjustment. I give horrendously large tips on body work because I'm like, you adjusted my motherfucking soul. That was not just a massage. I actually worked with this incredible acupuncturist in um, San Diego who works with women and hormones. And I have had debilitating period cramps for most of my life that like where I throw up and vomit and get so sick and faint sometimes. And she has healed me with weekly acupuncture and um, some Chinese medicine herbs I take in the morning and at night that taste awful. Um, and legitimately healed me after working with people for like five years. And it's like $80 when I go and see her. And um, it's, you know, I would pay a thousand to have my health and wellness. So um, yeah, body work, body work is is the best hundred dollars I ever spend on myself. Beautiful. I love that. Okay. Last one. Advice to your younger self. Just that you're going to figure it out and be okay. And to try and like analyze it less and enjoy the flow and, and trust the process more and that there's greater things in store that we could ever imagine. Mm. Anything else that you want to say to anyone listening? Any last words to leave them with? I feel like we, I feel like we said, we said a lot. There's been a lot there. I, I, I was like, there's lots of good nuggets in there and, um, yeah, I just think that it, it, we always also believe that it could never be us and that it's just other people and that they're special or that they're a unicorn. But I've also sat in a desk feeling miserable and living a life that I hated and um, felt trapped. And I, I don't think that being trapped is real. We always have the power of choice and that surely pisses off a lot of people, but it's true. Um and just that we're born into contrast for the purpose of making choices. So like, what choices are you making today? Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. It's just, I was just saying, it's so good chatting I with know. you. It's nice being here. I know. This is so fun. Oh, like, I missed you. It's nice to be here. Uh, I know. It feels really good. Okay. Tell, say like where people can find you. Um, although I'm not, I'm not constantly on my social media every day. Uh, there are slabs of my heart that go up every single day that are true and real and authentic, and um, that it, I can be found in that space as well. And what's so it's uh, my name, so J A N N E Robinson, which um, is Yana, not right. So much more exotic Yana. and fun. I'm like a, I'm like a bright, colorful bird. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ruby Ray. I am your host, Jacqueline Norton, and I'll see you next time.